Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Turn with me to Proverbs 22.6. I want to continue my message from this morning. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, I told you this morning that, that when, my, when I got back into fellowship with the Lord, uh, I dedicated my son to the Lord, uh, the, our first child, just in my own heart. Now, I don't remember when, when, did we dedicate the two of them to get together before the church after you started coming back to church? Do you remember that? I don't remember if we did that or not, but, huh? We didn't do that with Pastor Gray? Oh, did it? Yeah, right after they were born. And, uh, but I made a, com- a commitment in my heart that my children would live all of their life, serve God, know God, walk with God, be in fellowship with the Lord all the days of their life. And I never backed off from that. And, you know, we read this morning that Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, Joshua was, it wasn't just making a positive statement, when, and I wasn't just Hoping, I wasn't just saying something that I hoped to come to pass. I knew in my heart that I could say that in faith. See, I got a hold of the, of the, of the truth of faith in God's word pretty early after I got back in the fellowship of the Lord. And when I, when I understood that God will absolutely do everything he says, that whatever he promises, he will perform it. Doesn't matter if it makes sense. It doesn't matter if the whole world's going a different direction. It doesn't matter if it looks like it can never happen. If God said it, he will do it. And so, you know, having been raised in church, I was familiar with the verse that we read tonight. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Somehow, even as a young parent, just real young, you know, 20, I was 20 years old when I got back into fellowship with the Lord and started going back to church again, just a a young man, two-year-old child, and I didn't know much about parenting. But somehow I knew it wasn't gonna be based on my parenting skills or my natural ability. Somehow I knew, just from my limited brief exposure to faith, If God said it, he would honor it in my life. I knew that. And we built our life on that. We built our home life around this. And, you know, but when Joshua said this, he he not only said it, it's recorded in the word of God. And like we mentioned recently, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's God breathed. When Joshua said that, when, when it was recorded, it was recorded by the direct inspiration of the Spirit of God. And what God said by inspiration is still inspired today. It's, 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 the, the New Testament says God's word is a living thing. 
It's alive. It's not, it's not just something that has been said and was written. God's word is a living thing. And when God, when God said, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. When he said it, the power to make it happen, to bring it yeah. to pass, yeah. is, is contained in that utterance. It's in that word. And it's still in, a, in it today. It's still alive. It's still powerful. It's still glowing yeah. with, with, with power yeah. and reality yeah. and truth. And God yeah. is in that statement. He's in that statement. It's part of him. His DNA is in that statement. You can't separate God's word from him. And so if he says something, it'll come to pass. And that's why why Joshua could say what he did. As for me and my house, I hope we'll serve the Lord. No, as for me and my house, we will serve. He said, the rest of you, I'm not so sure about. Choose, but I, I, I know your history. And by revelation, I think he knew their future. He said, but, and he said, so I'm going to set this, this stone up as a memorial to remember you said it and God said it. But what you do or don't do is not going to have any impact on me. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Like I said that, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's recorded in the Bible, so it must have been the right thing to say. Uh, there must be biblical grounds for him to say such a thing or the Bible wouldn't have recorded it positively. It, it, it must be a covenant possibility. In other words, it must be something that belong, that, that is, a, is something that belongs to us or he couldn't say it with confidence. Like I said, people sometimes claim a lot of things by faith. I've told you many times about the man that used to come to our church years ago and he claimed that he was going to win the, the uh, uh, Reader's uh, Publishing House, Publishers, whatever it is, the Clearing House Sweepstakes. I mean, he said it. I'm not talking about he, didn't, he wasn't just flippantly saying. He got in my face and says, I'm going to win that. He said, you, I mean, he was adamant. You watch, Ed McMahon's coming to my house. He said, it's going to happen. He said that for several years. Huh? Is Ed McMahon still alive? I don't know. <laughs> he said that for years, but you knew on the inside when he, when he said it, you knew there's not any basis for that. There's not any scripture for that. So you can just say something because you think it sounds good and it makes you feel good and you like the outcome and you, and you like to think it. But if, if, it, if, if Joshua said it and it's Bible, there has to be a covenant reality for there has in other words there has to be some basis for you to claim that amen and so of course we have if we have nothing else we have proverbs 22 6 we have that but we have more than that hallelujah have you ever thought about this go with me over to the new testament go to first timothy the third chapter first timothy chapter three praise the lord In 1 Timothy chapter 3, it talks about 
Verse 1, if any man desires the position of a bishop, that's simply a pastor, he desires a good work. And then he lists the, the qualifications of a bishop. And he says in verse 4, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence, having reverential children. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? And then go over to Titus, the first chapter. Verse number six, if a man is blameless, this is also talking about elders, which elders and bishops in the New Testament are the same thing. He said, if a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination. Faithful children. Notice that having faithful children who are reverent and love God, notice that's, that's a requirement for being a pastor. Well, how could God require that if there's not a basis for it? If there's not a promise that you can, as we say, take to the bank, if there's, not, if there's not an absolute covenant right to it and a promise that you can claim it, then how can he hold a pastor responsible for it? Isn't that right? No, it's, it's, it's entirely the blessing of God. Hallelujah. Joshua said, we will serve the Lord. He didn't say we will just come to church. That's for me and my house. He said, we, will, we all of us, me, my children, and my household. He said, anybody under my authority, we will serve the Lord. Not just be dragged to church. You can make your kids come to church, but you can't make them serve the Lord. And if you try to make them serve the Lord, uh, you'll do more harm than, than good. And yet he said, we will serve the Lord. To serve the Lord means to live for him. It means, it, it carries the idea of willingness. In other words, you're engaged. It's your heart to serve the Lord. It's a conscious, personal decision. We will. His entire house. You, you know, you can say that about yourself, but to say it about somebody else, you better know what you're talking about. Now, how, how can a person say that? How can I, as a young man, Knowing no more than I did, I knew very little. And I had kind of a, a good background of basic Bible knowledge, but as far as, as knowing much about faith, I had just begun to learn and, and, uh, and, and a lot of the things that we see and hold dear today, I hadn't really got into that that much. I didn't really know a lot. How could I, as a young man, be so full of faith for this thing? How could I... How could I come to that uh, conclusion that I, as an individual, could make a statement of faith concerning my children? Because I had always been brought up, and I still believe today in the, in the sanctity of the human will. Every person, every human being has the right, and it's involatile. God will not override anyone's right to choose. And that's why Joshua said, you choose today. And, I, and, and we all know that, that God will not make anybody do anything. 
And God will not force anybody or override a person's will. Every person who is born again today or ever has been born again made a personal decision out of their own will to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, if that is true, how can I say what my kids are going to do? It's a little bit of a, of a conundrum, a little bit of a question. Like I said, God, the faith in Proverbs 22, 6, the faith in that statement enabled me to say it. I didn't really understand it, and I don't understand a whole lot about it today. I mean, I understand a whole lot more than I used to. But I understood very little about how I could say what I did. But I knew it because I just, I just knew that God would honor Proverbs 22, 6 in my life. And... Uh, now comes to the place where I want to see which direction I want to go. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Go back with me to Genesis chapter 1. I think this would be a good place to start. Can't go back much further than that. <laughs> Genesis 1, verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God created man and woman. He created them male and female. And God had a family In heaven, the Father, and the Bible talks about the, his dear Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we've been brought into the kingdom of his dear Son. I think the New King James says, the Son of his love. God had a family in heaven. And he ordained a family on earth that would mirror and answer to, correspond to the family in heaven. And so he created mankind and gave mankind the ability to bring all of this offspring into the earth. That's a tremendous thing. Stand up here for a second, PG. Come up here, Angela. How many of you, just turn around and look at the congregation. How many of you appreciate my son? How many of you has he been a blessing to? Amen. Tremendous blessing. He, he's a godly man. He, he's, he's, he's such a blessing not only to the youth but to the church. We did that. We did that. <laughs> you can be seated. We did that. <laughs> Many of you can say the same thing that you have children that honor God, that live for God, 
And God could have brought your children into this world on his own, just like he did Adam and Eve. He could have brought, he could have created Adam, Eve, Cain, Abel, Seth. He could have created every living person on the earth. They would have all been his creation. Every person on the earth is still his creation. But he, allowed, he gave humans, he gave mankind the awesome privilege of, of passing down his nature and his character and having their offspring. He, he gave us the ability to, to, to do what he does in procreation. That's, that's just a, a tremendous thing. And when God created Adam and Eve, he created them perfect in every way. It says he created them, created them in his image and after his likeness. They had his nature and gave them the responsibility of passing that divine nature down to their children. But we know what happened, don't we, along the way. Sin entered this world. And the Bible says that, that sin came in and death came in through sin and so death has passed down to all men. Instead of Adam and Eve passing down the divine nature of God, they passed down a fallen nature in the flesh of their children. Now the spirit of a child comes from God, but the, but the flesh of a child comes from the parents and and in that flesh is a sin nature that's lying there dormant, just waiting for the opportunity to rise up and kill that child. At the moment of accountability, when the child reaches an age and a place of consciousness where they're able to recognize right from wrong, that sinful nature uh, uh, 100 times out of 100 will rise up and kill that child's spirit. Death will enter in. See, Adam and Eve passed down death to their children and God intended there to be life. And so death passed upon all men. And if you think about it in this light, God intended the relationship between parent and child to be a holy relationship, to be a divine relationship, to something that, that he created and breathed into. God, God designed, like I said, the ability for a parent to bring a child into this world and extend the nature and the life that he got from God into that child. And so the family, the family unit was designed by God to carry his life, his nature, his, his grace, everything he had. It was designed to be passed down in the family. That's how God ordained it. Families in this earth. Ephesians talks about the fact that we bow our knees under the Father from whom all fatherhood in heaven and earth takes its name and derives its meaning. All fatherhood, all parenthood comes from the divine parent, the divine father. But because of sin, so often the family, instead of being a, a, a tool to bring life, 
brings a curse. And you all know this. If you know people, if you just look around and you know just history and you know even people that you're aware of, instead of the family being a cradle of life leading to heaven, very often families lead more to hell than to anywhere. Because you have, you have children so, so often born into families and they're, they're born, they, their spirit comes from God, but they're in a home where there's no hope. No one knows God. The parents are lost. That little child is innocent, baby, one-year-old, just, just growing up as a child, just an innocent child. And the age of accountability comes and there's no hope. That child is cut off from the life of God. And, and in many homes, what God ordained to be the avenue, the vehicle to lead to heaven is a vehicle that almost makes it certain that, that child's gonna go to hell. They don't know God. They put the most dis disgusting, the most vile values into a child and that child grows up under the curse of hate, sin and death, and darkness and blindness. They grow up in that and what God intended to lead to heaven, like I said, leads the opposite direction. The family was cursed because of what Adam and Eve did. Family itself was cursed. The family and the relationship between parents and child, really in the history of humanity, the relationship between parent and child and the family unit has been the biggest contagion of sin and death this world has ever known. It's been sin's greatest ally because it's, it's been passed down and then reinforced and, and then held those little lives in bondage until they grew up and they repeat that again in another household. So the family became the, the very ally, the very strength of sin. The very strength of sin was the home. It, it passed it down and then it reinforced it and undergirded it and reestablished it every day. Sin, death, darkness, rejection. That's not the way God intended the family to be. Thank God he didn't leave the family in that kind of a mess. He didn't leave parenthood in that kind of a problem, that kind of a condition. Oh, glory to God. Adam beget Cain, Abel, and Seth with a fallen nature. Go with me to Romans chapter 5. <clears throat> Romans 5. Verse 12 says, therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who is to come. Verse 17, the first part of it says, for if by one man's offense death reigned, through the one. So we have the reign of sin and death down through history. 
And we know that the family unit and the parent-child relationship, the children being born with the nature they got from their parents, that sin, sin's citadel was the home. Sin's citadel was the home. You could say it like this, death and sin reigned in the home. And you can see it today. You see it all over the world today. Sin and death reign and it starts in the home. But oh, glory to God. It says in verse 20, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Anywhere sin abounded, grace much more abounded. Well, if, if, if that is true, that anywhere sin abounds, grace much more abounds, then surely the home would qualify. Because human history shows that sin and death abounded in the home. It had its, it has it, it had its nurturing in the home. God didn't intend it to be that way, but that's how sin ruined home life, ruined family life. Ruined the relationship between parent and child. Sin ruined it and it reigned. And it reigned, it still reigns where they don't have the grace of God. But anywhere grace, anywhere sin reigns, grace much more reigns. That tells me that God's grace can reign in the home to a far greater, a much more greater extent than sin and death reigned. So if sin and death can reign in a home, grace can reign much more. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In, uh, let me read this statement. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. How can this be true if not in the family as well as anywhere else? How could Romans 5.20 be true if sin alone had the power through the parents to gain dominion over the children? If, if sin alone had the power, then how could Romans 5.20 even be true? But five, Romans 5.20 is true. Glory to God. Go with me over to uh, Genesis chapter 7. Genesis the 7th chapter. Now, in the sixth chapter, you go ahead and turn over to the seventh chapter, but once you find it, then turn back to the sixth chapter. In verse one, it says, it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth. Daughters were born to them. And then it goes on and tells us about things that took place. And in verse five, it says, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. What a dark, dark picture of humanity. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry 
that I have made them. What an what a awful picture. What God had planned and what he had, had, I don't know if it's even fair to say this of God, but what he had dreamed of, what God had planned, his desire for humanity was ruined. It broke his heart. It broke his heart when God looked down on this forsaken planet and the state that it was in, it broke his heart. And he regretted that he regretted the whole thing. He regretted he'd even, even made man. And he said, I'm, I'm going to have to destroy man that I created. Wow. It's a terrible thing. Verse number eight. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Amen. Glory to God. Just say this after me. Thank God for grace. Thank God for grace. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Go over with me to Hebrews, the 11th chapter. Hebrews 11. By faith, Noah. Now, now. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. See, when I was a young parent, I found grace in the eyes of the Lord where my, where my children were concerned. I found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God graced me. God gave me grace. And he showed me a scripture. Proverbs 22, 6. That scripture became real to me. It came alive to me. And I had recently come under the influence of teaching that told me if God said it, he'll do what he says. God cannot lie. And, and, and I was told and I was instructed that that book was written so, so that I would know the will of God, so that it's a revelation of God want, what, what, of what God wants for my life and that any promise in it, he will perform it. See, all of that was grace working in my life. I didn't know a whole lot. I didn't really know how it worked. I couldn't teach it to anybody. I couldn't explain it to anybody. Hardly could explain it to myself. Couldn't really. But I found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And his grace led me to Proverbs 22, 6, that, it, you know, I'd heard it all my life. But it's one thing to hear something. It's another thing for God to, to give it to you. And open your heart to it. And when, and when my heart got a hold of Proverbs 22, 6, faith arose. Faith arose. Now notice, Noah found grace. But in verse 7 here of Hebrews 11, it says, By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark, for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became the heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. He prepared an ark not just for his own salvation but for the salvation of his household. Amen. If you go back, turn back to, to Genesis. Are you there in Genesis chapter 7? The Lord said to Noah, come into the ark, 
you and all your household because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. The deliverance that God gave to, to Noah and his family was the very first instance of grace toward humanity. It's the very first example of, of deliverance by grace in the Bible. Now we know that when Adam and Eve sinned, God killed an animal and, and clothed them, shed the blood to cover their sin. But as far as dealing with humanity on a, on a broad scope, this story of, we just read the fifth chapter, where, where I think we did, or at least I looked at it, where it says that Adam and Eve uh, begot, beget, or had, had Seth, and, they, and, and they, that, that Adam begot him after his likeness, in his image and after his likeness, just like he had Cain and Abel, but they were, they were fallen creatures, doomed. Adam and Eve brought forth doomed children doomed from the outset and then as humanity spread as the human family began to populate in the earth this beautiful plan of procreation where we could bring God's children in, into, the, into the earth instead man is, is, is multiplying children of the devil everywhere to the point that God said I can't even look there's the, the, the thoughts and intents of the heart of men are continually evil all the time. I'm sorry I even created this planet and created man on the face of the earth. But grace. God found a man and graced him. It was a man who had a heart for something different, who no doubt in some measure called out to God in the midst of all of that dark world, he found grace and favor in the eyes of the Lord. And God did something to save the human race. This was, like I said, this was the first act of grace on behalf of fallen mankind. God came up with a plan, but he noticed not to just save Noah, but his household. It says, Come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous. I, I see that you're righteous. Hebrews says he prepared an ark for the saving of his household. God intended that this grace he was extending to Noah extend to his household, extend to his children. That tells me that God's plan for the family is not to just save the parent, but through the parent to save the children. We'll say that again. God's plan for the family is not to, and it's not just to save the parent, one, parent, two, and then individual children. The family was brought in on the basis of the parent. Did you see that? He said, because I judge you righteous. Because God judged Noah as upright. He said, because of that, this blessing is going to extend to your family. That tells me that God 
redeemed the family. In Noah's day, God redeemed the family. That, that, that relationship and that unit that had so been so cursed and so turned inside out and so darkened and, and had become such a, a tool of the enemy, such a tool of evil to bring death and destruction and to, and to cement it into, into the children in those homes. That, that, that working of death that took place in the family, God turned that around in Noah's day. He turned that around. He said, Bring, Noah, you're righteous. You're going to go into the ark. Take your family with you. Every parent today, God intends, you, intends that you take your family with you into the ark of God's safety. It's his plan for you to do it. It's your right to do it. It's what he intends. That's the mission of the Christian family is to bring others into the ark. Start with our children and bring them into the ark. Every parent should, should know and be aware that the blessing of God, of salvation, doesn't just extend to you and then it stops there. Through you, there is an extension to your family. Now, here, now very carefully and, and surely, let me say what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that, that your children will be saved on your faith. I'm not saying that a parent can believe God and their child be saved as a result of their believing God because we go back, you know, there, there's a lot of truth in the Bible and it all has to, it all has to line up. Like I said earlier, there's never been a person saved, born again, who did not make a personal decision on their own. In other words, that, that wouldn't be the right way of saying it. They're not doing it on their own. They're doing it as an act of their own will, but they've had help. Thank God. Thank God you had help. Thank God God helped you make the right. Did he not help you make the right decision? Can you not look back over your lifetime and seen all the times God was helping you, working with you, moving you, directing you, motivating you, guiding you into places where you didn't know what God was doing. You didn't know his hand was on you, but it was there, thank God, and it got you to a place where you were able to make a decision for the Lord. You had to make it, but God got you there. That's why we say we're saved by grace through faith. It comes as a result of our faith, but you can't, you can't deny the grace of God working. Oh, thank God for his grace. Thank God for the times he moved in my life. He used my family. He used my parents in particular to guide me to that place. I have, Sue knows this, she's, she's, she's read the book that, that I'm getting ready to publish. In the, in the introduction of that book, I said I had three spiritual fathers in my life. One was my earthly father, and the second was my pastor when I was, uh, from the time I was 10 until I backslid and then left church, and then when I came back, he was, he was the pastor in the most in, uh, formative years of my life, and Kenneth E. Hagan, three spiritual fathers, but it started with my earthly father. Because my father and mother 
they didn't know a lot about what we know about faith and how it works. They didn't know a whole lot of, they didn't know anything very much about the authority of the believer as well as I can ascertain about taking authority and those. They, they, they didn't know a lot. But I'm telling you what, they also, there, there's a lot they didn't know, but there's a lot they did know. There's a lot of godliness, a lot of character. And I got saved as a young child because of my parents. Because of my parents. Other people had a hand in it. I'm sure, I don't remember the particular event, but I'm sure there was probably a Sunday when I came and accepted an invitation and came to the front and bowed an altar and prayed and, and received Jesus as my Savior. I'm sure that probably happened. I just don't remember the, the event. And I'm sure my pastor probably gave an altar call that service. But it wasn't my pastor that led me to the Lord. My daddy and my mama led me to the Lord. And they led me to the Lord every day of my life. Growing up in that home, they were leading me to the Lord. And yeah, I made a decision, but I made a decision because they made a decision. I'm, I'm gonna say that again. I made a decision because they made a decision. Even though they didn't understand everything about the word maybe that I understand today, they understood godliness and they understood right living and they understood believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and serving him all the days of life. They knew that God came first and he was first in my home. God was first in my home. In, I mean, our entire family life was built around God. The worship of God, believing in God, the Bible, the word, going to church. We were involved in everything that God was doing and what God was doing, he was doing in the local church like he's doing today. It's always been about the local church. The local church is how God nurtures Christians in the sheepfold of the, of the local church. And, and our family, we were 100% sold out. And so I, 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 I was shaped by that. Now, because they didn't exercise faith like I did for my kids, because I, I remember the sermons, I remember, I remember the, the, uh, the tendency, like I said today, that preacher's kids were always, you know, Hellions and, you know, that was the reputation that preacher's kids that they just generally turned out bad. And, and there, were a lot of, there were a lot of people in our church who came from Christians home, Christian homes and went on to live for God. There were a lot of us that didn't. As, a, as a, t a young teenager, I began to rebel. There were a lot of things that happened. My dad was killed when I was 11 years old that really, you know, kind of uh, really uh, angered me and made me rebellious. A lot of things happened. And I, I left God for a number of years, even while I was still uh, at home. Like I said this morning, uh, on, on New Year's Eve, when I met two of my worst partners in crime, and we became such good friends. I already knew one for a, for a while, and the other guy I met that night, we became, we became very, very close friends, and we got into a lot of sin together. But you know what I was doing that night? I was skipping church. We were having a church service at our local church and it was a, a, a watch night service like we had, you know, on, the, on, De on December 31st every year. 
We'd have a service that would start about eight or nine o'clock and it would be singing and testifying, people just testifying. It really wasn't like a preaching service. It was just a, a watch night service and then close to midnight in the church, we'd begin to pray and the, and the, and the, and the uh, tradition was to pray in the new year. My mama was there that night, but I was in the fellowship hall goofing off with my friend. And then I met this other guy and the three of us walked around town that night. We actually walked about two miles to, to the Burger King not having the sense to realize it's New Year's Eve and it's not open. <laughs> walked all the way up there and it was closed. But my point is, I was skipping church that night. See, my mom made some mistakes where I was concerned. She, made, she did a lot of things right and I thank God for that, but I shouldn't have been allowed to skip church that night. I shouldn't have allowed to do that. I shouldn't have been allowed to sit out somewhere else and to walk around and goof off while the church service is going on. But you see, she felt like she had lost control of me. I was only 15, I think, or 16, maybe 15. She felt like she had lost control of me because I was just so uh, rebellious and so she gave in. She should never have done that. It's a big mistake. Parents, don't you dare give in. I said, don't dare give in. It's your responsibility to set the standard of God's word and require your children's obedience. Now, I said, you don't, it's, it's not about just dragging your kids to church. If you're making your kids come to church, keep it up. First of all, keep it up. But understand that making your children come to church isn't the goal. You haven't, you haven't turned the corner in this thing yet. You haven't, you haven't rounded the homeward stretch. If you're still making your kids to church, come to church, keep on making them, but that's not, the, that's not the goal. The goal is them wanting to come to church. That's what you have to get your children to, and he'll help you do that. But he's not going to help you do that when you let them do crazy things. When you let them rebel. When, when, you, don't, when, you, when you don't make them participate. Come to, make your children come to church. And there's a lot of things I want to go into as we get into this about how you can create the right kind of environment in, in, in the home. But you have to start with the ground rules. Now, I was backslidden from the time I was probably 12 on. <laughs> and I was in church. I didn't participate. But I was there because I knew that's what the Andersons do. My dad and my mom had set that pattern. The Andersons go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, any other revival that's going on, whatever's going on, the Andersons go to church. Now, I didn't participate from my heart. I sat in the back, talked, passed notes. But I'm telling you, I was in all the meetings because the Andersons go to church. My mom didn't know how to use the faith that I later learned to make sure my children were not just in church, but that they loved God. See, God honored my faith. He'd have honored hers if she'd have known. But at least she kept me in church. 
I went to all the youth activities. I was not a good example for anybody to follow. We, we didn't have the right attitude. We were living in sin. We were sneaking out and drinking and, and doing a lot of things. But we were in those youth activities because the Andersons go to church. It's just the way it was. And I wish my mom had been more resolute than she was. I don't remember what age I was. I went to youth camp. Our, church, our denomination had a youth camp. And I went when I was young, starting at eight years old. And somewhere in my early teens, I don't remember how old I was, maybe 14, I decided I'm not going to camp anymore. I said, ah, Mom, I don't want to go. And me and, and a couple of these, these other couple of friends in, our, in the church, might have just been me at that time, but I just said, I'm not going. I didn't, I didn't want to go to youth camp. It wasn't cool to me. I thought it was stupid to go to youth camp. And I, one reason I didn't want to go to youth camp is I know what happens at youth camp. The, the leaders of the camp get, get youth off by themselves and they focus, I mean, they put the Holy Ghost beam on you. And I mean, they just, they just minister, target you with the word and the spirit and they pull on you. And I knew what would happen. I knew if I go to youth camp again, I'll end up getting back in fellowship with the Lord. I know that. The Holy Ghost will start dealing with me and I'll repent of my sins and I'll get washed clean again. And I don't want, I don't want to do that. So I'm not going to camp. Because I knew if I went, I'd get back right with God. But you know, my mom didn't make me go to camp because I didn't want to go. She felt like, well, if he doesn't want to go, he's not going to get anything out of it. That wasn't true. Little did she know, I was afraid to go to camp because <laughs> I knew what would happen to me. And I, in, my, in my backslidden and rebellious state, I was resisting that. And she caved. And she's in heaven today. If she was here, if she could come back today, she'd... she'd absolutely back up what I'm saying she caved she failed to do her job as a parent cost me a lot of grief cost me a lot of waywardness it cost me getting further and further and further and further away from God to the point where when I was 20 years old at the time I got back in the fellowship of the Lord I was I was actively doing all I could to, to persuade myself that the Bible was a lie. That there was no Savior, there was no salvation. I mean, I was, I was pressing very close to renouncing my, my basic faith in the reality of God and of Jesus Christ. I was, I was wanting to do that. And God, because of the prayers of my dad and my mom, my God got a hold of me and grace started working into my life. But I see, I didn't have to get to that place. I didn't have to make the mistakes I made. I didn't have to nearly ruin my life. And but for the grace of God, my life would have been totally ruined. But for the grace of God. You say, well, grace is grace. And whenever it showed up, it showed up earlier or later. No, no, no. When it shows up is very important. When grace starts working in your life is very important. Young people, because of, because of, of the natural uh, uh, progress 
of adolescence and coming into to, to adulthood. Children and teenagers, I don't know why I'm on this tonight, but teenagers make very important decisions that affect their lives. And if they're out of fellowship with God and running from God and rebelling against God, I'm telling you, it can cost them forever. And like I said, there were young people in, in my group. We had a large youth group that particular year. There was, I don't know, 15 or 16 of us that graduated from high school one year, one class, and there were that many in the next couple of years behind us. Almost everybody left. Most never came back. They were raised in the same kind of homes I was raised in for the most part, same kind of parents, heritage, generations. Parents, it, you have so much power over your children. Do what's right, even when it's not easy, even when it's a challenge, even when you're, you're little ch children. I'm not just talking about teenagers, just little kids. You, you reinforce, you make them do what's right. So often, not picking on anybody, but so often little kids in this church, I'll come up to them and say, hey, you know, and, and you know what happens? Some of the parents say, you stop that right now. You, you say hello to pastor. You, you, you say I'm sorry. And you say good morning, pastor. And you act, I'm talking about little, little kids, two, three years old. But you know what other parents do? They just laugh. They just laugh. They turn, <laughs> all the difference in the world. Unless something changes, you're going to see big differences down the road. I'm just telling you the truth. You, you make your children, you make them do what's right. You, that's what training is all about. You train them, you shape them, and you never let up, and you do it in faith. See, it's not, it's not just all law and, and, and training. See, in, in, in Ephesians, it says, bring them up, in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. To, to bring them up in the, in the discipline and admonition. The word training there is the word discipline. That's the rules. Got to have rules. You teach them the rules. But then in the admonition, that's, that's the training part. That's the... That's the the truth behind the rules. So your children need rules, but they need truth. So often I see a lot of parents that do very little, evidently, do very little actual training and admonition, discipline and training in the home. Because it's not just discipline, the rules, it's the, it's the truth, putting the truth into them. And the best way to do that is to live it. And, and see, it says, bring them up in. That's the third thing, bring them up in. That's, that, that talks about modeling, living a life in front of them where they see why the rules are what they are. They see the outcome of the rules. They see the truth because you explain it to them. And more than anything else, you live it. Right. Now, that doesn't mean you're perfect. 
doesn't mean you never get mad with your kids. It doesn't mean you never say things you shouldn't say. It doesn't mean that you don't make mistakes parenting. But it means that from your heart, you're living the truth. And I had this conviction because as a young man, I saw that faith in God, and faith in the word of God would, would bring me total victory. Total freedom in my life. I had never heard that before. And I knew it was, it, I could see it was my future. It was revolutionizing my life. Somehow I knew, because I had been in the world long enough, as young as I was, I'd experienced enough of the world's way of doing things. I knew the victory I had found and the peace I had found and the fulfillment I had found and the destiny I had found and the power I had found and the, and the blessing I had found was not in the world. It just wasn't out there. Somehow I knew if I'll, if I'll live this for myself, my kids will see the difference. And when they get to that age where the world starts pulling on them, the blinders will have been taken off and they'll see the world for what it is. And they'll see from their home life that I'm not going that way. Why? See, I didn't, I didn't have that growing up. Even though my parents gave me the rules, they only had a certain amount of truth to impart. And I, as a teenager, I thought that the world was more attractive. I thought the things of the world offered me more and that church life and living for God was a restriction on my life and it would hinder me and hem me in and, 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 and take from me. I found out it was just the opposite, that the world was taken from me. The life of sin was what was dragging me into the pit, ruining my life, ruining my, my, my hope, destroying my heart, destroying my future, robbing me of peace. And I realized that if, as a parent, if I will live the victory life, the overcoming my life, overcoming life, when my children get that at age, they'll see the word is the way to go. God is the way to go. And the world's just not that big. I'm not saying it wasn't a temptation. Greg can tell you, surely it was. But there was, a, there was an awareness in, in his life, in Steve's life, that, you know, it's not worth it. God has too much for me. There was something instilled in them. God offered too much to go the way the world goes. Glory to God. You can do it, church. I'm telling you, parents, you can live this way. You can, but, it, but, it, but it comes down to raising your children in the victory that living in the ark affords. My parents had me in the ark to an extent, but to another extent, the windows of the ark were open. And I was looking out on a lot of things that attracted me. They should have had those windows closed. God ordained the family and just, as, just like sin ruined it, God saved it. God redeemed the family. He blessed the family and blessed parents and Parent, you have the right to bring your child into the ark with you. Into the ark of, I'm talking about the ark of God's covenant, the ark of God's safety, the ark of God's word is true. You have a right to bring your children and if you will believe God, 
Just believe, just stubbornly believe God that what he said he will do no matter what it looks like. And do the other things to, to, to make the decisions that need to be made, to, to, to set the kind of example that needs to be set. If you'll do that, you will, you will demonstrate a victory in your life that your child will not be able to deny. Would to God I'd have had that growing up. I had a lot of good things growing up, but victory was not one of the things that was modeled in my home because we were just like everybody else. We lived a separated life from sin, but everything else bad that happened in the community, it happened to the Andersons. And I found out from God's word that I can have a different kind of life than that. Praise God. Let your kids see that. Amen. Amen. When it comes time for activities, whatever they might be, whatever age-related activities this church offers your children, if it's an Easter egg hunt, make sure they're there. If it's a party of some kind, make sure they're there. If it's a church fellowship, make sure they're there. If there's anything they can participate in, if, if it's the music program you know, that, that, uh, that we have where we do the music school, it, it's of the church. My kids are in it. That's just all there is to it. Well, they can't sing worth the lick. Can't carry a tune in a bucket. Well, somebody will give them another bucket. <laughs> if there's something going on in church, your children need to be there. From the earliest days, there needs to be that, that understanding that is for me and my house, we're going to church, we're going to serve the Lord. If you'll do that, see, we did that. My parents did that. They just, if they had just had the message of faith, everything would have been so different in my life. But when it, when it comes time for uh, youth camp, well, my teenager doesn't want to go. Well, who cares whether they want to go? They're going anyway. You say, well, you know, that's easy for you to say. No, it's not easy to say and it's not easy to do, but I've done it. I've done it. It's winter retreat. They need to be there. They don't, well, they don't want to go. Amen. And you know what? Something, can I just say this, Pastor Greg? We, we've talked about this sometimes. Sometimes parents do the craziest things. The kids, the young people will go off on to youth camp or go to winter retreat and have this spectacular experience with God turns their life around and they come home and the next Sunday, they're not in church. The parents take them somewhere else, send them to, you know, for a week at their grandparents or you say, well, isn't that important? Not that Sunday, it's not. Not when God just turns your, your young person's life around, then they're not in church the next week. So often, he can tell you, they come back a couple weeks later and they've lost everything they gained at camp. Boy, how dumb. I'm telling you, that is just stupid. I can just be honest with you. That is just ridiculous. I'm not just chiding people. I'm telling you how to raise your children for Christ. And, and if you do the things that the Bible says to do, guess what you get? Bible results. And it is worth it. It is so worth it. I am so blessed to have the two sons and, and their families that God has given them 
Now, a lot of you don't know my older son because, you know, you've, you've come, you know, he's been, he's been away, left home 25, 20, 30 almost 30. It's 30, has it been 30 years? <laughs> Good night. Yeah, I guess it has. He's, he's almost 50. He's 48 years old. He went to college when he was 17 years old. He came back one uh, summer after that and never came back again. He met a girl. (laughs) And good Christian girl. They've been married for 27 years. And they're involved in, if you don't know Steve, he's he's a wonderful man of God. He's involved, he and his wife are involved in church. They go to a good church. They're involved in everything that goes on. Everybody in his house is a musician. Steve's a musician. His, his, Christy plays the piano. His boys play the piano and other things. They're involved in the music department in their church, heavily involved. They're, they're serving it. Now, he's not in the ministry like Pastor Greg, but he's in the, in the health ministry in his local church, and he's faithful. We're so blessed to have the sons that we have. And, you know, I said earlier, we did that. I did that to make a point about, you know, procreation, that God blessed us with the ability to bring his children into the world. But you, know, you understand that God did that. And we know that. We know that the grace of God has been on us. And, and the, the grace of God to parent is on every, every Christian parent. Every Christian parent has the grace of God on them just as strongly, just as much as Pastor Angela and I have. And I'm telling you, there's, like I said before, there's nothing like it. There's no reward in this, in this earth. There's no reward here in our time in, on the earth. There's no reward greater than knowing your children know God and that you're gonna be in fellowship with them for eternity and their family and their, their wives, their children, their, their children's children. Whew, glory to God. It's nothing better. Amen. It's available to every single parent, but you gotta do it. This is the life that faith brings. So glad I learned about how to believe God as a young man. Oh, I'm so glad I learned how to believe God. Woo, glory to God. Just to stand up in the face of this world and say, no, I'm not doing it that way. I'm doing it God's way and God will show up. And he has. Praise the Lord. Let's stand up. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Parents, you have so much help. You have so much help in in this church. You're not on your own. When when Pastor Angela and I started the church, you know, we really didn't have a whole lot of kids ministry going on. In fact, there was a time in the old building over there where we couldn't find anybody to, to do children's church. My wife had, had, she started out, we started the church, she was doing children's church and she had, what ages did you have? Huh? Four to 13. Four through 13. All in one class. And you know that was fun. 
And she was, she was happy doing that. You remember the stories about how Angela was kind of sitting on the back road, kind of mousy, you know, and not really didn't want to be seen. I knew that God had things for her to do with me in ministry. And so I put my foot down and said, you're coming out of the nursery. And you're going to be in the service with me and take your place. We didn't have anybody to take the children's department. And finally, I, I just got the church together and, and I said, here's the deal. As for me and my house, we're gonna serve the Lord. And I said this to the congregation. I said, as for the Anderson family, my boys will always know God. They, they're gonna live for God all the days of their life because we're gonna raise them right and God's gonna do what he said he would do. I'm not responsible for the rest of your kids. And if you want a children's program, then somebody's gonna step up and lead it. Because if not, we're just not gonna have one, but it won't bother me because frankly, we don't have to have one. We're our own children's program. Where my kids are concerned, we don't have to have it. We'll do it on our own. We can do it. Our kids will not suffer because of it. But the rest of your kids are going to suffer if they don't have a children's program. So I think it was Ruth Nunn. She stepped up at that time and took over the, the children's department, became the children's director. And then we went off from there. When our boys got a little older and, and they were in their teenage years, our youth group was... Uh, three people and none of the three guys really liked each other <laughs> this was when Steve was in and all three of them went to different schools high schools they had no fellowship outside of church and really didn't have anything in common really didn't like each other so we would try to where's Leslie do you remember those days we'd try to have a youth meeting and you had three boys in there that didn't want anything to do with each other. And they just sit there like this. <laughs> and that's what we started with. You have so much more now. You have so much more to, to offer your kids than we did then. Not to discredit Miss Leslie, she did the best. It was Leslie and Lori, I think. Wasn't the two of you together did that? I mean, they took the challenge of those three uninterested boys. <laughs> and uh, when Greg came along, it was a little bit better, but not much. It was you and Cindy. Oh, Cindy Cool was the director, and you were the, and you were the youth. <laughs> She'd give an altar call, and he was the only person there. So you had to come to the altar whether you needed to or not, right? <laughs> It's like a friend of mine, when I, when, when I went to Ramah, he worked at one of the convenience stores uh, near, near Ramah, and he said he, would, he had graduated and, and, and had went on, you know, he was not in school. He said sometimes Ramah students would come in and try to witness to him because they didn't know he'd gone to Ramah, and he would let them lead him to the Lord. He would, he would pretend like he was unsaved, and he'd let them lead him to the Lord. He said, well, it blessed them, you know, made them feel good. They needed the practice, so he said, I'd let them practice on me. He said he would cry. He'd make himself cry and everything, you know. <laughs> I don't know that Greg did that, but, but you know, you have, what I'm saying is you have so much more now than we have in those days. So many more tools available. So much more ministry then, uh, now than then. Take advantage of every bit of it.
Glory to God. Hallelujah. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Father, we bless you. We bless you. We bless you. We bless you, Lord. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I'm so grateful, Father. I'm so grateful for your word. So grateful for the grace that you extended to me. And I know that same grace, the exact same measure of grace is extended to every parent in this church. I know it. Because I, I know you're no respecter of persons. What you've done for me and, these, and, and others, many others, you're still doing today. I pray, Father, that parents will be encouraged inspired to believe again to stand in faith again to take up the mantle of a parent again and see it all the way through one day they'll be thankful one day they'll be thankful they'll be grateful like I am At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.